0: What a blessed opportunity we've been given to be together, to sing these hymns of praise to God, to participate together in the Lord's Supper, to offer up of the blessing that He's placed into our hand as well, and to encourage one another, stir one another up to love and good works, all of these things that God has designed for us in bringing us together as His family. I'm grateful to you uh, for your presence here, it's an encouragement to me. I'm prayerful that I'll be an encouragement to you as well as we study through this text together. These words are meant to edify. God has revealed His will to us so that we can know what He has planned for us and so that we can participate in this plan of salvation, not only for ourselves to grow, but to share this then with others as we've been looking at in the book of Acts and as we were talking about earlier in the different comments that have been made. We're grateful for those who are online with us, those who may be Hearing this lesson later from the recording, we're grateful for your presence with us as well. We pray that these words will be a blessing to you. We know that whatever God has said will bless your life if you're willing to submit to it and do his will. We're looking at this question that was asked about uh, what is the great commandment of all? What is the first commandment of all? As the, the reading has it in the New King James here in Mark chapter 12. The scribe had been hearing Jesus responding well to all the questions that were coming to him. He has come into Jerusalem. He's there for the last week of his life. He had gone on the, the previous day, had gone into the temple and turned over the money changers' tables. And so as he came back today to the temple, the scribes and Pharisees gathered around him and all the religious leaders began to challenge him. But he answered very well all of their questions. And, and so this scribe came up with this question and wanted to know what is the great of all the commandments, the greatest one, the most important one. And so Jesus responded by saying that the first, of course, is to hear that the Lord our God, the Lord is one, to understand God's nature, that He is the only and the holy and the true God. But based on that then, that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind and all your strength. And then the second is you should love your neighbor as yourself, and the word he used for love here, don't expect you to become a Greek scholar today, I'm certainly not a Greek scholar, but the word he uses is this Greek word agape, And I'd like for us to understand, as we look at this text today, that learning to agape is the greatest love of all. Why do I say it that way? Most of us are familiar with the lyrics of this popular song, popularized by the the late Whitney Houston. And I've put some of the words up here to this. The lyrics are actually by Linda Creed. Uh, Whitney Houston's powerful and beautiful voice is what popularized these words. But part of the song says that people need someone to look up to, I never found anyone who fulfilled my needs, a lonely place to be. And so I learned to depend on me. And the chorus rings out, the greatest love of all is easy to achieve. Learning to love yourself, it is the greatest love of all. And that is a really popular saying. It's unfortunate and tragic that the one who popularized these lyrics died by taking her own life in depression and despair back in 2012. Someone who could sing a song so powerful and it rang out sort of as a as a buy, as a catchphrase for a generation, learning to love yourself is the greatest love of all. And yet, even with all the love that she seemed to be giving herself, and all the love from fans, what a tragic life she lived, and a tragic death she died. This pop wisdom, this pop psychology has been parroted so much by most of our society, it's been given out as wisdom even by Christians, I'm sad to say, <laughs> that learning to love yourself is truly not the greatest love of all, no matter how popular that sounds. And so as we look at these messages, it's an, a simple search on Google will bring this idea up over and over again. Here's a quote that's anonymous. I found this on uh, quoteambition.com. There's several quotes I'll bring up here that come from that same source. Demonstrate love by giving it unconditionally to yourself. <laughs> And as you do, you will attract others into your life who will love you without conditions. Well, you see where the focus is there. Give love unconditionally to yourself, and others will love you without conditions. There's a a focus on self. But of course, learning to love oneself, that's the greatest love of all, right? That's what we're being told. Here's a quote that's even attributed to Buddha. You yourself, as much as anybody else in the entire universe, deserve your love and affection. Anybody else in the universe, like, Like, God? (laughs) I deserve my love and affection more than God deserves my love and affection. Of course, Buddha's not thinking about God. But you see this inward focus, even in Buddhism, if this is a true quote from, from Buddha. What about a modern philosopher? This is back from the 50s, perhaps. Love yourself first, and everything else falls into line. You really have to love yourself to get anything done in this world. Lucille Ball, pop philosopher, perhaps. But love yourself first. And notice the context there to get anything done in this world. (laughs) That's where this focus becomes. As you learn to love yourself above anything else, you more and more focus on this world. What can this world do for me? How can this world help me? And I fear that our social media landscape, it's where most of us live, unfortunately. So many Christians live in social media land. Makes it so tempting to have the focus on ourselves. Have you heard my opinion today? Did you see what I had for lunch today? (laughs) Have you looked at my fashion? (laughs) Have you heard my judgment on this matter yet? I know we don't overtly think that's what we're doing or say that's what we're doing, but it's unfortunate as we spend any time at all on Facebook or these Instagram, we begin to see, look at me, look at me, look at me. Often a very sad cry for help by people who have learned that learning to love yourself is the greatest love of all. The Bible paints a very different picture, a stark contrast to all of these popular quotes. Well, this thing sound great on the surface, and I understand there's a need to feel self-fulfilled and to feel that others love me and to feel that I love myself. I understand that need, but where's the breakdown? Where's the problem that causes that need? That problem is rooted in sin, and only the Bible teaches us how to get rid of that problem, how to overcome that problem, and it's not by learning to love ourselves at all. In fact, we're going to see it's something very different from that. So the Bible presents a very stark contrast to this concept. So as the scribe received his answer, Jesus said to him, you shall agapao, that's this verb form of this verb agape, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's the first of all the commandments. That's the most important one. The greatest love of all is right here. Learning to love God with all that you have. And in the second, There is no other command greater than these two is to love your neighbor as yourself. And we'll talk about that last little part, as yourself, because some people think, well, I've caught you. I've got to learn to love myself. That's the greatest love. Then I can love my neighbor and God. No, that's that's backward. That's backward from the way Jesus said it. But we will look at that in a moment, God willing. Agape is defined by Thayer's Greek lexicon as affection, goodwill, love, benevolence, brotherly love. A lot of different ways that we can look at this word. But agape is really defined for us in a much better way by the Apostle Paul, under inspiration in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We'll look at that text in just a moment. I'm going to go ahead and be turning there. But this idea that Paul spent so much time in 1 Corinthians 13 describing this word agape, some have suggested that it's a, rare, a fairly new word in the first century among Greek use, at least. In the Septuagint, this word had already been used. The, the Jews understood this idea of loving God first and loving your neighbor as yourself, even from the Septuagint use of this Greek word. But in the Greek and Roman world, this Greek and Roman culture, perhaps this word agape needed some further explaining. And so some have suggested maybe that's why God had revealed so much about agape here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Let's put it this way. So imagine that some foreigner who knows nothing about English gets invited to my house and he comes and he sits down to dinner with us and he watches what I do to a pizza and hears me say how much I love pizza. And then he sees me turn to my wife and tell her I love her. (laughs) What do you think this person is going to think I'm about to do to my wife? (laughs) Because he doesn't understand this concept of this word that we have for love that encompasses so many different things. Well, these Greek words, they have varying degrees of love, various types of love. They're defined by these different words that for us is just the word love. And so Paul will take some time here in 1 Corinthians 13 explaining what agape love looks like. And of course, it's a text we know well, but it's beautiful. 1 Corinthians 13, beginning at verse 4. This is agape love. Suffers long and is kind, does not envy, does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And as you look at that list, you begin to see these things aren't focused on me at all. The the power of the character of agape love is in its selflessness. It's what I'm doing for someone else. It's where my focus is on someone else that makes agape love really have its power. The greatest love of all is not learning how to love me. It's learning how to love others. and It's putting others before me. And we'll really see that that's exactly what uh, Jesus taught. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That's the first thing. God must be above all in the response he gave to the scribe. Love God with all your heart, strength, soul, and mind. Give all of it to God. <laughs> and so God is first. And then we see that the Bible, the New Testament, teaches the need to love others after God. We we'll look at Romans 15 first. Romans 15 verses 2 and 3. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. He suffered for us because we had reproached God. He was looking out for us. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3. Paul's exhorting the Philippian brethren to think like Jesus did, just as he did there to the Romans. He says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. And then the example, beginning of verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who suffered for us. So God first, and then after God, others. This is not the greatest love of all that we hear about in popular psychology. This is the greatest love of all that we hear about in the Bible, Finally, what does Jesus say about me? Well, I must learn to deny myself. How is that learning to love myself above all if I'm denying myself, taking up a cross and following after Christ? I'm putting God first and then others and taking myself out of the picture as much as I possibly can. We'll, we'll see more that Paul's going to say about this and others. What we learn, though, in fact, is that it's our focus on God first that teaches us the how and what of what love really is. This text in 1 John chapter 4 is a beautiful example of that. It's a beautiful expression of this love of God and where we come in in the picture. 1 John chapter 4 beginning at verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we we also ought to love one another. And look at verse 17. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Wow. Can it get any clearer than that? Where in there does it say he must learn to love himself? He must learn to love God and his brethren. And we love him because he first loved us. We learn what love is because God has shown us what love is. He manifested it to us. He did that by sending his son to die for us. That doesn't look like love. It doesn't look like the kind of love we think of where you go and you die. If I'm learning to love myself, I'm going to protect myself at all costs. How am I going to go and die for someone? if I love myself. If that's the greatest love of all. That's not what we see here. The greatest love of all was Jesus giving his life for us. He exemplified that perfectly. And his love then is set as our example. His love is set as our example. We should love also as he loved us. That's what's said over and over here. And that's what Jesus said as well. So think about how Jesus suffered long and was kind. Not only was he kind to the ones who were nailing him on the cross as he said father forgive them for they don't know what they do he's kind to us he's suffered long with us in our sins he had already taught in matthew chapter 5 and verse 44 that disciples ought to pray for their enemies jesus did that at the very moment they were nailing him to the cross he gave himself as the only valid sacrifice for sin that is the ultimate and selfless act that is the essence of agape And as a man then, he focused on God. I mentioned before Philippians chapter 2, I know we know this text, but let's read that in this context here. Thinking of this agape, selfless love, Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11, this is what Paul encouraged the Philippian brethren to embrace. Not learn to love yourselves, Philippians, learn to love God and others. And this is it. Let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, But made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on the earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Notice that. He had already humbled himself when he realized, I love myself so much that I just want to keep being God. He had every right to. God deserves all the love there is in the universe. But no, he didn't consider that something to be grasped, something that was robbery, something he needed to hold on to. He let go of that and came and found himself in appearance as a man. And as a man, he humbled himself even more. (laughs) He became a servant. came as the lowliest of men. He knew he was destined to be king. But he didn't come as king. He came as servant. And because he served to the point of death, he was then exalted to be king by God. That is the absolute essence of agape. I'm not worried about myself. I'm worried about what does God want me to do and what do these people need me to do. That's selfless love. That's the greatest love of all. And as we look at Jesus' example then, it's when we put love for God first that we can then properly love all others. Until we learn to love God in the right context, we can't love those who are serving God. We certainly can't love those who aren't serving God unless we love God first to the point of praying for our enemies in the moment of persecution. That's what Jesus did. Learning to love ourselves is not going to produce that kind of selfless giving. It's just not going to. We're going to try to protect ourselves at all costs. What we're told here as the second of these great commandments is love your neighbor as yourself. And as I said, some people say, well, aha, uh-huh, there it is. I've really got to love myself an awful lot if I can then have enough to give to my neighbor. So you got it wrong. <laughs> Jesus got it wrong. No, he didn't. <laughs> love your neighbor as yourself. What is he talking about here? Does that imply that we have to learn to love ourselves in order to love others? I don't think that's the implication at all. The implication is that we already love ourselves. We need to learn then how to give that love to others. Think about what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5. Here he's speaking about the relationship of husband and wife. and He says in verse 28, Husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. He presumes we already love ourselves. We already know how to take care of Ourselves, remember that when we use this word love, we're not speaking of some kind of an emotional attachment. We're talking about things we do in sacrifice for others. We make a lot of sacrifices for our body. We do. We drag ourselves to work because we like to eat. Yeah, we need to get a paycheck so we can go buy food. We like to have a place to live, so we got to get a paycheck so we can pay for a place to live. That requires some sacrifice, doesn't it? Getting up early in the morning, sometimes working late hours. Providing for our wives and for our children. Providing for others who have need. Those all require some sort of sacrifice. But when I'm doing it for myself, it's because I love myself. Even on a day when I don't like myself, I can still pick up a fork. There's days I don't care much for the kind of person I see when I look in the mirror. I'm still working on myself. doesn't stop me from eating that day because I love myself, even when I don't like myself. Can you see what I'm getting at here? God understands that. And so what he's saying to do with the wife is provide for her needs. That's love. And so he begins to show us this proper agape attitude with that same love that leads us to cherish and nourish our own bodies. No one ever hated his own body and didn't cherish and nourish it. (laughs) Cherish and nourish the body of others. In this case, the wife, that's the example here. But the idea is all others. (laughs) Reach out and serve others and cherish and nourish them. The point is, it must become as natural to care for others as it is for us to care for ourselves. In fact, it needs to become more natural to care for others than for ourselves. But we can't do that naturally. <laughs> That's something we learn spiritually, something we learn from learning to love God. That's the kind of love that extends beyond what we thought we were capable of. And that really does kind of undo this pretentious question early on. <laughs> This idea that's used throughout the Bible of hatred between brothers is from Cain and Abel. That's the example of one who didn't love God and didn't love his brother. And really didn't love himself in the end. But he asked this pretentious question when God comes down and says, Where is Abel your brother? He says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And it almost seems like he's throwing that in God's face. Aren't you the one who's supposed to be taking care of Abel? Am I the one that's supposed to do that? But in the end, God's response is, well, absolutely you are. (laughs) That's what the Bible teaches. I am to be my brother's keeper. God would have me take care of others, not kill them, certainly. (laughs) And So Cain and Abel are held up Cain as an example of jealousy that leads to death. What we see really in practice is that loving others as myself, in accordance with this word agape, means that I do become a keeper of others in the best possible sense, a keeper of their souls, a keeper of their true needs, not just whatever they desire and want. That wouldn't be good. That would be an indulgence. But a keeper of their needs, making sure that others are taken care of, and especially the, their souls. There's probably never going to be a moment when someone's going to be nailing me to a cross and I have to pray to God to forgive them. That's, we look at that extreme we think, well, that's never going to happen, so I don't need to learn that gift. <laughs> well, yes, I do. Because what happens is, When others' weaknesses show up, and I'm so concerned about my strengths that I just steamroll right over them, that's a problem. I'm not giving myself to others' weaknesses for their sake. Paul talked about that problem in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. There were these brethren who were so wise, they understood that idols were nothing. They don't really exist. There's no other false god. So I can just go into this idol's temple and get this meat. I can eat that with no problem. But there were some who had come out of idolatry who were still wrestling with that concept. And they thought, well, if this guy who's a strong Christian can eat that idol's meat, maybe I should go ahead and eat. I guess there's not a problem after all. And he violated his own conscience because he was still offering that to idols. Or it caused a stone of stumbling. It became a stone of stumbling. Look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Here's the way to resolve this. Because of your knowledge, shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, here's Paul's conclusion, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. In Romans 14, he says, I won't eat, drink, I won't eat meat or drink, drink, I won't do anything that may cause my brother to stumble. I'm more concerned about his weakness than I am about my being right and my strength. That's selfless. That's <laughs> selfless. I will give myself to the weakest link's need, if that means I have to forego something that I know I have every right to. Much better to do that than to force something on someone and have them stumble in their conscience and be offended before the Lord and us offend the Lord. So agape love thinks about what the other's real need is, not just their indulgent desire. What is their need? But learning to love yourself looks like this. I want to try to illustrate this as best I can. It's me. It's all about me. My food. This is what I had for lunch. This is what I love to do. This is my fashion. It's all about me. And you need to learn to love me too because the more I love myself, it's going to draw people to me that love me. Have you ever noticed how untrue that is? How much are we repulsed by people that love themselves so much that's all they can talk about? Doesn't that kind of turn us off? It should. It's a disgusting kind of self-worship but it's this me at the center of everything. And then somewhere around me are these people, and we'll find out typically they're people that I can use for something to help me. And then there's, there's this God out there who's, who's so good and so great. He just gives me everything I want. I can just call on him anytime and he'll just fill me up because I love me so much that he can't help but love me. What a, what a backward way of thinking. But yet yeah, that's what we're taught. That's, that's popular teaching. So consider the example of the rich young ruler. When we look at Mark chapter 10, as Jesus begins to speak with this, this young man who came and said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He says first, why do you call me good? Have you, have you recognized who I am? Really? Do you, do you understand who you're talking to? There's only one who's good, and that's God. Well, the rich young ruler's trying to just kind of butter him up a little bit. And then Jesus goes through some of the Ten Commandments, and he works backwards. <laughs> he works through these Ten Commandments, and he talks about the commandments that deal with the interchange between people. And this young ruler has done really well with those. Jesus cut off, though, before he got to talking about the commandments that deal with God. And the ruler didn't even notice, apparently. And Jesus says, well, you need to go and sell all your goods and give those to the poor, then come and follow me. And the ruler went away sad. It turns out he's really good at dealing with people, because people are useful to him. (laughs) But when he's got to deal with God, he's not really sure how to handle that. He's learned to love himself and love what people can do, but he's not gotten where he needs to be before God. He wants to inherit eternal life. That sounds like a good thing, but he's not willing to put in the work. (laughs) He's not willing to give himself to doing that. Think about also the example of the rich man and Lazarus. Here's this poor beggar who's been laid at the rich man's gate. This is in Luke chapter 16. And finally, after this man's life of suffering and the rich man's life of regalia, they both die. (laughs) And while they're down there in And the rich man's in torment and Lazarus is over in Abraham's bosom and they're in Hades. They're not in hell. They're in Hades. There is this great chasm between them and the rich man's yelling across to Abraham. And what does he say in verse 24? Send Lazarus over here with a drop of cold water to put it on my tongue. (laughs) Lazarus is really useful for me. Send him over here. (laughs) Or send somebody up and warn my brothers. But he's just thinking about how he can use people, even already in the afterlife, even in torment. Because that's what he's learned, that people are useful for me. And so uh, I want to put them to to work. What about the Sadducees and Pharisees now thinking of God? They're religious people, but they've made religion their God. In in Mark chapter 15, Jesus accuses them of speaking well of God. God's always on their lips, but their hearts are far from him. They're talking about God because, well, he, he makes them have this sort of status, They're seen as the religious leaders. They're the ones who like to walk around with these long robes and they like to receive the the greeting of rabbi in the marketplace and the best seats in the synagogues. And so God has really been helpful to them. They can can use a God like that. But they're not serving God. (laughs) The Sadducees had all their religion bound up in these questions of theirs. So God was useful to them as they would get into these arguments. But they weren't really serving God. (laughs) Their error was in not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 22. They don't don't know God. They don't love God. They're using him as a religious token. And so many people do the same today. And so the idea of God is useful to some. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 19. Such strong words Paul uses here about some that their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. How how much is that self-love? whose glory is in their shame, and who set their mind on earthly things. Some see preaching the gospel as a means of gain. Godliness with contentment is a great gain, Paul says. But the others are trying to get rich off of, of making merchandising out of the gospel. And so you see how all of that points back into self. These arrows are all pointing in. It's all making me fatter and fatter in my selfness, in my selfishness. But what does learning to put God first look like? He becomes the center of everything. Around God, then, there are people. Whether they're serving Him or whether they're seeking for Him or whether they're completely lost, they're around Him. God is reaching out to them. And then somewhere out there is me. I'm among these people. And God is there at the center. And as I learn to put God first, Paul's orders to the Ephesian husbands, Ephesians 5, verse 25, he says... Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. He doesn't say, love yourself so much, husband, that when you've got a little bit left over you can give it to your wife. He says, no, love Christ. And look how Christ loved God. And then love your wife that way. (laughs) He's the example. He's the center. He's the focus. Not you. Not even her. Him first. Then her. And then you. The man's not the focus. This new commandment, let's open in John chapter 13. As Jesus calls this a new commandment he's giving them, but I love the basis for this commandment. John chapter 13, starting at verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. It's interesting, he didn't say, by this all will know you are my disciples, if you have the right name on the church building. <laughs> if you've got the right doctrine, what eventually, what what primarily will show that we are disciples of Christ is the way we love one another because we love Him. And if we're biting and tearing each other down, we certainly aren't going to agree on the doctrine and we're certainly not going to agree in serving God. But Jesus says, love as I have loved you. He is God. (laughs) They've seen what God's love looks like and so they should imitate that, not love yourselves and if there's any left over, go love your brother too. Love me, and love like I do, and all will know you are my disciples. What about Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2? As we then lay ourselves on the altar as a living sacrifice, God can transform us by the renewing of our minds, because he's the center. (laughs) What, laying yourself out as a sacrifice? That's self-love? That's loving God first. You're putting yourself on the altar. This metamorphosis doesn't begin with me, it begins with God. But it ends with me being changed. And then we see in Philippians chapter 3, Paul himself. I just appreciate so much uh, as Paul points to himself as the example. He doesn't ask any of the people he's teaching to do something he hasn't already done. Just as Jesus doesn't ask anybody to do anything that he hasn't already shown us how to do. Paul exemplifies himself here. Look at this, starting at Philippians 3 verse 7. What things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Does that sound like someone who's saying, the greatest love of all is loving me? <laughs> the greatest love of all is counting everything that I stood for as rubbish and replacing it with what Christ stands for. <laughs> what love? Christ is the center of his life. God is the center of his life. And that's where ours ought to be. So when we love with God's love, that serves outwardly. <laughs> The more we put God at the center, the more we are able to reach out to other people. There's plenty to go around. If we look at the, the simplicity of these texts, Ephesians chapter one verse twenty-three, He has given Jesus to be the head over all things of the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. In the New International Version, the fullness of Him, the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. When we fill ourselves with God, when He's the center, there's so much more left over. It just multiplies. But loving with self-love, that serves inwardly. Until I'm so full that people say, it's just going to overflow because I'm so full of love for myself. No. I'm so full of myself that I've got no room to serve others. I'm locked in. And so even as we've been looking in the book of Romans, here's what that kind of love looks like. Romans 1.21. Although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God nor were thankful. They've you know, got God in their knowledge somewhere. They didn't like to retain the knowledge of him. They weren't thankful about that. They didn't glorify him. They became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. What does that look like in the end? Look how selfish this list is. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, they are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. You see how selfish that list is? That's what learning to love yourself results in. It drove Whitney Houston to death and so many others like her that try to fill up that emptiness of all that self-love that's such an empty place to be. They try to fill it up with drugs, with sexual immorality, with alcohol, with all of these things that are selfish in and of themselves because they haven't filled themselves with loving God and serving and loving others to the point that they become full of love. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart You shall love your neighbor as yourself. We're told in Matthew's account, Mark didn't bring this out, but we're told in Matthew's account that this scribe actually came testing Jesus with this question. And Jesus told him on these two commandments, hang all the law and all the prophets. Loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself, that fulfills all the law. That does. It makes it so that as the scribe responded, We don't need all those burnt offerings and sacrifices because we're fulfilling what God wanted. There's no reason to go and make the sin offering if we haven't sinned, if we've lived in such a way that our love has compelled us beyond sin to serve God and to serve our fellow man. To the selfish, that sure does seem backwards. I'm just giving myself out to everybody else, I don't have anything left for me. But how full you become in serving God and serving others. It's such a blessing, it's such a conversion. God brings us to look more and more like his son. There's a real problem in the end with this self-love. There's this image in self-love that makes it feel like it's real love, that it's the real kind of sacrificial love. It sort of looks like altruism, but ends up destroying the one who's involved in it. And this word agape is used in a negative way in a few verses. I'd like to look at those quickly before we finish out. In John chapter 3.16... If we'll go look at there real quick. You've got the agape of God as He so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That is altruistic, giving love. This world is unlovable. God loved us anyway, sent His Son to die for us while we were yet sinners. That's the agape in verse 16. Look at verse 19 though, and this is John 3. This is the condemnation that the light has come into the world, and men loved. That's the word agape, son. It's a form of agape. Darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Do we know anybody that loves darkness rather than light? Unfortunately, we probably know too many. Why do people keep going back to drugs? Why do people keep returning to adultery? Why do people keep using and using alcohol and abusing it? Why? Because in the end, they love the darkness rather than the light. The light exposes them and they don't like what they see. So instead of confessing and admitting the the problem, they go back into darkness and hide it further and further down. And destroy themselves. Out of love of self, they destroy themselves. In John chapter 12, if you'll go forward a little bit with me here. John 12, 48, we've probably got memorized where Jesus says that he's going to judge the world, but not him. The word that he's spoken will be the judge. But what's the context of that conversation where it has that strict rebuke at the end He's talking about the rulers of the synagogues, the religious people that said they were waiting for the Christ. Look at verses 42 and 43. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved, San, there's our word, the praise of men more than the praise of God. Oh, how dangerous that one is. (laughs) Do you love God? Well, I love what people say about me when they think I love God. (laughs) Do you love God? I love the fact that God lets me stand up and talk to a bunch of people every Sunday. Boy, that makes me feel good. Do you love God? (laughs) Or do you just love what looks like you're loving God? How people get caught up in that. It's such a sad thing to see. They love the praise of men more than the praise of God. And then think about 2 Timothy 4.10, this sad news about this disciple who had been toe-to-toe in the trenches with with Paul at some point, but has now given up. Paul writes to Timothy this sad news. Demas has forsaken me, having agapesas, this current world, this present world. He's loved this present world, and so he's given up on serving the Lord. He's departed for Thessalonica. What a sad statement that someone could love this world so much that even the love of God cannot compel them to overcome it. But you know what? That's exactly what happens day after day after day with the people that are around us. And so we see what that looks like in some of these texts. Second Peter chapter 3, and verse 16, Peter says, there are un- untaught and unstable people that will twist the scriptures to their own destruction <laughs> because they love the world more than God. They, they see using God's word as a way to get what they want out of the world. And so they'll destroy themselves out of self-love, twisting these scriptures that talk about God's love. We already read in Philippians 3.19 that some have an end that is destruction. Their God is their belly. Their glory is in their shame. People are proud of what they're doing. That's shameful. And they'll talk about it every chance they get. But here's the way Paul taught Timothy to counter this. Also in 2 Timothy, starting in chapter 2, verse 24. This is so beautiful to me. I just love the power of the gospel in doing this. 2 Timothy 2, starting verse 24. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility correcting those who are in opposition, if God will perhaps grant them repentance, so they may know the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. So many people are just caught up in the habit of sin in the habit of loving themselves and loving this world, and all they're getting from the world is feedback about how you've got to learn to love yourself. And it's destroying them. But we bring the light of the gospel into their lives and they can see, this is destroying me. We've got to have the attitude that Paul taught Timothy to have. Bring the light to them and allow them to see the snare that they're in. Learning to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself, that's the greatest love of all. And God is the perfect example of it. He loves you with an inexhaustible love. The Apostle Peter says in 2 Peter 3.9 that God is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's why he hasn't destroyed the world yet in the context. He's waiting because he wants so many more to wake up and to love him and to stop loving themselves so much that they destroy themselves. Love him and he'll show you what real love looks like. Then you can understand how to love others and truly yourself. If you would learn to love God first, and then others, this very day the greatest love of all can happen to you. Not like the song sings, but like God sings of over and over and over in the poetry of his scriptures and in his psalms and in the gospel that is revealed. The truth is, the only reason we're telling you these things, the only reason we're concerned about you being concerned about this is that the love of Christ compels us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15 We judge thus, if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. (laughs) That's what we want to call you to. That's what God has called us to. Let us learn to love God first. Let us learn to love our neighbor as ourselves. Provide for the needs, the absolute needs of those who are around us and build them up into loving God first as well. If we can help you today, if you've been struggling with self-love and you realize how much is destroying you, if you'd like to learn to love God, then we want to help you with that. His word brings us to that. His word shows us how it's done. And his word brings us out of the misery of what this world calls love, but is really a false sale, something that Satan has pulled over our eyes and made us all captive to his will. If we can help you today to make the decision to become a Christian, to come forward confessing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, to repent of your sins and have them washed away in baptism. You can start a brand new life today. Loving God as the center of your life. Jesus as Lord and Christ. You can do that today. And if you're a Christian and you've been struggling with self-love instead of loving God and others first, we want to hold your hands up and help you to walk with Christ. If we can help you to do that, whatever your need may be, please make it known. We're going to sing this song designed to encourage your repentance.